Hi, this is Chelsea Vale. You have found the Whole Heart Podcast, a podcast for conscious parents who want to do things differently. Parenting the Whole Heart way is about love, connection, play, and raising our children naturally. It can get, at times, a little bit crunchy. Let's jump in. I grew up with a magnet on my refrigerator that said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. I saw this every day growing up and, you know, I would I would look at it as I was getting the jam or the milk out of the fridge and not really think about it. Um, I didn't really think about the value that books and storytelling and reading would have in my life until at one point it just kind of clicked. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, reading and literature was so heavily pushed in my childhood home. And my sister was such a fantastic reader and she was so into books that certainly that could not be my thing. Right. And so um I sort of pretended that books didn't have the value that they did. And I also grew up in the 80s and 90s where um, if you were an intellectual, you were sort of ridiculed. You were automatically a nerd, right? We had we had Urkel. We had DJ Tanner was kind of a book nerd, right? We had, um, you know, even Ross on Friends. Every time he would start to say something that was smart or wise or, you know, had some value to the conversation, everyone would go, ugh, and they'd kind of roll their eyes, right? Um these were the images and, um, you know, things that I grew up with that sort of encouraged me maybe not to read, right? I don't want to be a nerd. Reading is for nerds, right? And then, you know, as I um, grew up a little bit and, and um, you know, began to really enjoy reading and had teachers that didn't force me to read anything that I wasn't necessarily passionate about, but read things that just really spoke to me. Um, I became kind of a secret reader, I would say. And, um, you know, one of the things that I that I read growing up was uh, Sweet Valley High, right? I read um, the Sweet Valley High twin books, and um, there were these two blonde, blue-eyed twins. And then I read Nancy Drew, also a blonde. Um, I read Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was reading all of these things that very much were like me. Um, but looking back, those things that I was reading early on that were just like me, I'm not sure if that was an encouragement from a teacher to read something that speaks to you that is relatable to you or where that came from. But, um, you know, I would equate that now looking back to sort of like sitting down on the couch and eating a bag of Cheetos. It didn't ever really fill me. It was entertaining, but it didn't um, it didn't challenge me. It didn't excite me. It didn't make me want more and more and more. And ironically, right before I decided this episode today was going to be about reading and the love of reading and inspiring reading for young children, um, I came across a post on Facebook where my sister had taught a parenting workshop. And I thought, well, that's weird. My sister's a, a, a speaker. She speaks you know, all around the world and she um, is a guest on a lot of podcasts. And to list her accomplishments would be obnoxious to all of you because it would take me about an hour. Um, but she doesn't normally do parenting workshops. And so I'm used to scrolling through, you know, on my Facebook feed and seeing the things that my sister does. And normally it's just like, phew, like totally over my head um, because she's a literature and a theology professor and speaker and, and, and author. Um, but when I saw this parenting workshop, I went, huh, what's that? And I clicked on it and it was, you know, Dr. Jessica Hooten Wilson speaking on um, the value of reading and the love of literature in the home parenting workshop. And I went, oh my gosh, this is so great. So I wanted to hear what does my sister have to say about this? And as I was listening to this um, 
lecture, I thought this is so ironic because she is speaking about all of the things that I was just about um, to speak on, but she speaks at more of a college level. So um, what I was gathering is that this workshop that she did was to a group of teachers and, and college professors, how to excite a love of learning in their, I'm sorry, a love of reading um, the great books and the classics in, um, in the classroom, but also how to inspire um, a love of, of reading and learning in the home. And I'm listening to this and I just thought it was so great to hear some of her stories because they did ask her about her childhood and her journey and how she came to be the reader that she is and the speaker that she is. And, um, you know, a lot of the things that she shared in her workshop, I'm also going to be sharing here with you um, because I think that we did grow up in a home where books were in every room. Um, storytelling was a... Um, core feature of my childhood. It was used often to um, explain things to me, um, concepts that maybe I would not normally understand, but also speak to my heart and my character. And I would say character development um, was core in my household. And reading was not just about um, entertainment. It was definitely about um, growing and developing the person. So I'll backtrack a little bit here. Um, I did read a lot of Sweet Valley High, but that was my that was my junk food, right? It wasn't really inspiring. And so when I was sort of secret reading, I started reading mysteries and scary books, thrillers. And I really loved the problem solving that the characters would 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 um, excite and, and challenge themselves. And um, I really loved, I loved mysteries and I loved thrillers. And then I found the biography section um, in the library. And, and, and when I talk about my childhood here, I'm talking more like third, fourth grade, right? Where I have a clear memory of the actual books that, that I was reading. And then I started reading biographies. I loved Harriet Tubman, Abigail Adams. Um, I even read Oprah. I think a, a biography of Oprah when I was in fourth grade. I loved reading about um, leaders, inventors. Um, I loved reading about pioneers. I loved reading about Pocahontas. I loved um, people, self-starters. And, um, and, I, and I look back at this now with who I am and who I've become, the type of woman that I am. You know, I'm definitely an alpha female. Um, but I, I thought, gosh, in fourth grade, I wonder if reading those books helped me become the woman that I am or was I already that woman? And that's why I was drawn to those things. What came first, the chicken or the egg, right? But I look back and I go, wow, those were really powerful for me because those those women, those characters, those creators, they had gumption, they had passion, they had drive. Did that inspire something in me or was I already that way? And that just, I was drawn to that because of it. Who knows, right? But reading and literature were, were a big part of my upbringing. And when I listened to my sister's lecture, somebody asked her, you know, how did you get to where you are? How did you have a love of learning? And she mentions my father and my dad was definitely a businessman. She described him the same way that I would. He worked hard to provide for his family. He was a Christian. Uh, he was an elder. Um, you know, when he was, was in the same town as our church, he would do everything that he could to support the church. Um, but I remember Saturday morning readings uh, could have been a passage from great books. Um, often it was Aesop's fables. Um, Aesop's fables were probably read more so for me because I was kind of a challenge. I'm sure, if, you know, some of you have heard some of my episodes and went, man, I bet she was naughty. I was definitely naughty growing up. So sometimes I, I, I look back on those <clears throat> Aesop's fables 
um, Saturday mornings. And um, I wonder if my dad was trying to instill a little bit more um, moral development and character development in me, because um, he probably was wondering which direction I was going to head as I as I grew up. Um, but sometimes it was it was C.S. Lewis or you know something from The Hobbit. He often read a lot of speeches as well, um, great speeches from uh, maybe. <clears throat> Knights of the Round Table, quotes from Socrates and Plato and, um, you know, things that maybe were a little bit over our head at the time, but he also knew they were over our, our heads, um, but wanted us to be curious, wanted to challenge us. Um, he may have even read a couple of times from the Constitution, to be totally honest. Um, definitely great speeches from presidents. And um, when there were moments in um movies, for example, he, he, he never shied away from pausing it and saying, okay, and you see that scene right there. Um, part of that speech was from a book, you know, written by so-and-so. And, and then there's this, you know, history book about blah, 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 you know? Um, and so there was always a connection in my daily life and the things that we were experiencing in a book that he had read or a great book that um, he'd known about. But my dad was definitely a reader, um, always was a reader. And I think that might be why we became readers. And so this sort of ties into everything that I speak about on, on, on the show here is that children will not do what you tell them to do, that they will do what you do. And even in my childhood, as much as I protested being a nerdy reader, as that was portrayed to me, I definitely became a reader because my father was a reader. And my mother was a reader. And when we were traveling, um, you know, listening to Walkman at the time and our, our cassette tapes of New Kids on the Block or Madonna or whatever else we had, there was a time and a place for that. But there was often times where it was, OK, put your music away and, and get out a book. Um, books were definitely a huge part of my childhood. And I think that's why I've become so passionate about um books and reading to young children right now, it's not just about literacy. And that's definitely something that I want to speak on here because I think our society, especially with young children, focuses on reading just to read. When I was a kindergarten teacher, that was definitely the focus was getting children to read, teaching them to read, because if they can read, then they're going to be successful in the next grade and then they'll be successful in the next grade. And they're reading, you know, math problems. They need to be able to read the math problem and understand it in order to pass the test. And there, it was reading because you need to be able to get by in life. There was no um, reading was not taught with the uh, mindset that reading is about taking on another person's perspective, right? Is and, and learning about another person's story or um, learning a skill or a trade or bettering who you are, contributing to the world in any way. Reading was never about writing, right? Um, reading great literature, it was never taught to me that you can also write great literature, that your voice has meaning, that your story has power. That was something that I didn't really learn until almost in my 30s where I felt that my voice had power. But that's what reading really is, is, is taking other people's perspectives, learning other people's stories um, in different, you know, different, you know, um, time periods and experiences, there's value in that. So let me, let me skip past that and talk about why I think reading right now in early childhood shouldn't be just about literacy. Um, but the books that we choose to bring into our home have so much more value for who our child become and also the sense of security, 
that they feel, right? So I went to the library here um, yesterday, and um, I don't know if, if I've mentioned this on the show or not, but I no longer live in Austin. I moved, I relocated to um, a small, wonderful town in Oregon. And I went to the library for the first time yesterday because we finally have an address. And I thought, okay, cool, I can um, get my library card and take the kids to the library. And we get there, um, the woman at the counter says, okay, you can get 50 books each. And I went, oh my God, she just said that in front of my five-year-olds. If you tell a five-year-old they can get 50 books, what are they going to get? They're going to get 100. So I tried to set a limit. <clears throat> I showed them sort of how the books were organized. <clears throat> Excuse me, I must have allergies. Um, I know that's terrible when you're listening to a podcast and somebody keeps clearing their throat. Um, but she gave us the categories and the kids just took off with their little shopping carts and started gathering a bunch of books. And I'm looking at the books that they're that they're grabbing and it's it's definitely all about their their interest, right? We're going to get you know, planes, trains, automobiles, dinosaurs, whatever five-year-olds get. But, um, you know, those books are fine for them because they're not necessarily reading yet. They're sort of flipping through the pictures. But the books that I read to them, I choose wisely. And I don't have any books in my home that I do not fully support the message that they are sending, but also the way that the book is written. And I've spoken about this a little bit when it comes to fairy tales, for example, like the Grimm's fairy tales and the, um, you know, the classic fairy tales are totally different than the fairy tales that have been rewritten, the modern day fairy tales. In a lot of the modern day fairy tales, they cut out the tragedy like completely. It's almost like watching Bambi and like fast forwarding through when the mom dies. Like you miss the entire like purpose of the story, right? Or in The Lion King, like, oh, let's fast forward when Mufasa falls off a cliff because lions don't die. Like, what is that about? Um, we're robbing children from the tragedy. And in the fairy tales, for example, that would be robbing them from the entire moral of the story, which usually we have to experience the tragedy. Um, and a lot of the modern day stories in general, there's no villain, there's no evil, there's no darkness. And that's fucking ridiculous because um, you have to have that in order for children to relate to it and be able to distinguish the difference between good versus bad and evil needs to, you know, good needs to try evil. And we need to have all of that in order to have the depth of personality and the depth of, of human spirit and to, you know, acknowledge and even be aware that other people have that evil in them. And we have that, um, sometime that, that grit and we have, um, we have darkness and we have sort of a drive to do wrong sometimes, but we also empathize and we need to have that. We need to have that depth in the stories. Um, some books nowadays don't even necessarily have a plot. There's a lot of like, you know, easy readers where it's like, you know, this puppy can run. This puppy grabbed a ball. This puppy's hit the ball over the fence. Other puppy came in. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's no depth. There's no language. There's no description. There's no desire. There's no character in this book. And we throw it out. My mother bought a lot of those books because, you know, some of those books were really easy for, um, that my nieces and nephews to follow along as they became, you know, new readers. But when you read a book like that to a child, it's so choppy and has no, no flow and no purpose. I also think that the books that we have in our home should be familiar. Okay. So I have a lot of classic stories in my home and I am going to put a book list together on, on my website, probably on a private um, page. For those of you that subscribe, you can get access to that content and I'll be uploading it probably um, monthly, I would say, you know, kind of seasonally, because I do think the books we have 
should be familiar. Like I have all of my Christmas books that I read to my kids. I don't bring them out until it's getting close to Christmas time because that needs to um, be sort of a, a sign that things are changing, right? Um, read all of the Christmas books. But then in, in January, what should we be reading about? We should be reading about um, winter. And I found this wonderful book yesterday called Grandmother Winter. And she has this big quilt and Grandmother Winter shakes out her quilt and all of these snowflakes fall into the town. And, um, you know, it's a really beautiful story about the way that the animals start to burrow and hibernate and and hide and the changing of the leaves and all of that. So, you know, Grandmother Winter is a wonderful story. If you can read it in the autumn as you're moving into winter, you can move, you can read it in the middle of winter and then discuss where are the animals? Why haven't we seen so many of them? Where are they right now? Um, and then in February, we start reading about um, you know, we start reading about spring or we read books about love. We read books about friendship and relationship books about the color red. Um, in March, we read about leprechauns and rainbows and rain and spring and growth. And, you know, you kind of follow this pattern. Um, you, we read about different animals and seasonal changes and, um, and different fairy tales at different times. And if we follow the rhythm of the year with the stories that we bring into home, that is just another way to help your children feel the rhythm of the year, um, the rhythm of, of, of the seasons as well. And they look forward to reading each of those um, books with you each year. It's kind of this nostalgic quality when you say, hey guys, it's time for the night before Christmas. And we all curl up under a blanket and we read hot cocoa. And that gives more life and connection to the story when it's, um, you know, brought out at certain times. And then as they grow older, they still love to read the Velveteen Rabbit on Christmas morning because we used to read it every morning when we were little, right? Um, Spookly the Square Pumpkin we're reading right now. And uh, we read all sorts of books about autumn and leaves changing and squirrels and um, Pippa and Pell and the autumn winds and uh, Woody the Pooh and the blustery winds and the hundred acre wood. And and it, it, what it does is it really excites something in the child because they're reading about something that they're currently experiencing, but they're reading it from other perspectives. And what happens when you're reading stone soup in the fall is your child comes home and says, I just noticed lots of new vegetables at the farmer's market. Can we make stew? Let's make stone soup together. And then, you know, it just has like a, a living quality to it that I think is just so beautiful. And, um, you know, it's very different if you read a book written by Elsa Besco, for example, which I love Elsa Besco books and I love all of the Waldorf inspired books. But you read a book like that, Peter and Blueberry Land, right? And then you read Clifford the Big Red Dog. And it just kind of makes you want to vomit in your mouth a little bit because it's so different, the depth that Clifford is lacking that children are drawn to because it's created by some marketing master that, you know, it's got a big giant red dog that can't be missed. And then it turns into, you know, Clifford beach towel and Clifford TV show and Clifford shoes and whatever. It wasn't created for a child with the child's mind and heart and soul um, in mind versus the other books. Those are lively stories. That's so simple and so imaginative and so creative. And it really speaks to a child. Peter and Blueberry Land is a little story about a little boy that wanders out into the forest to get blueberries for his mother. And he can't find any anywhere because it's not the season for blueberries, but he feels a little tap on his foot and it's um, the king of blueberry land. And he shrinks Peter down to his size and they go and exploring the forest together. And they, they swing in a hammock of spider webs and they visit Mrs. Cranberry's house and they're all washing cranberries together. And they ride on a boat made of bark and leaves. And you, you can see how this would excite the soul of a young child to want to 
to be outside and be created with nature and sit out in the forest and imagine that the king of blueberry land comes and finds them as well. What these stories do early in childhood is they excite a love of reading and, and helps the children to connect to the stories and the characters and the worlds in such a unique way that they start to also connect to their own world. And it really inspires imagination and the love of sharing a story. Stories have always had a place in my home, even outside of books. And you've probably heard me talk about this a little bit in some of the other episodes, but um, children love to hear your stories. They love to hear your stories from your childhood, things that happened to you, things that happened to your brothers or sisters, your friends or colleagues. They love stories. Stories are also a really great way to explain things to them um, in a way that they can understand, but also in a really fun and imaginative way. Um, you know, when my kids were really little, um, they loved fruits and vegetables. They always did. But sometimes I would introduce, um, I would say like an exotic fruit, for example. And, you know, when you're three, a kiwi can be kind of exotic, especially if you've never seen one before. So I would be chopping up kiwi and they would say, that looks gross there's black stuff in it. And I would say, there are, those are, those are seeds, but you know, but this is not just a kiwi. And then what? And I would say this kiwi was brought to our door by a little bear this morning. Yes. I went to the door because I heard a knock and I looked down and there was a bear cub and they're all excited, right? They're leaning in. And I say, he was just sitting right there, this little cub. And in his hand was this tiny little furry fruit. And I talked to the bear and I said, well, little bear, where did you come from? And the little bear said, I came from the forest. I found this fruit and I thought that your boys might enjoy it. And I cut it open and I noticed that it is fruit. It's a green, sweet fruit. And I asked the bear if it's okay to eat the whole thing, even the black parts. And he said, oh yes. And I say, what do you think this bear is called? And one of my boys named the bear Toast. And so suddenly we have this pet <laughs> in our house. It's totally imaginative. Um, but Toast sometimes visits and he brings... Um, lemon curd. He visits the forest and he has squeezed out lemons and he mixed it with sugar that he that he found on his way. And then sometimes there's a little fox that comes and he brings berries and a little bucket. And sometimes there's a squirrel. And, you know, we have little forest friends, even though at the time we were living in, you know, downtown Austin. Um, but each of these forest friends would come and visit us and bring us exotic fruits and vegetables to try. And every now and then a little Tomton would visit and the Tomton would bring us um, a dish that he had made with some eggs that he had stolen from the little hen that lives down the street, Henny Penny. And so I would bring in the characters from different stories that we, you know, read as a family together um, in ways to get them to try different fruits. And um, one of my sons was sick one time and he was at his father's house and um, his dad said, I can't, he's some, got something wrong with his mouth. And I said, swish with coconut oil and tell him that toast brought the coconut oil. And right when I said that, I thought there's no way that his father can tell him the same type of story that I do, but it did help. And he did use the coconut oil on his mouth because it came from toast. Um, it's just a way for kids to connect with things. And I think that this is why in many ways, I really love Waldorf education and Waldorf curriculum and why I mention Waldorf so much because Waldorf stories um, that in the curriculum and that the teachers use, they're almost universal. They have stories to explain um, math. You know, there's the number gnomes and they have stories to explain the seasons. And um, just the other day, uh, we saw a rainbow in our home and the kids looked out and I said, oh, the wind fairies must have found us. And the wind fairies are bringing in a rainbow to show us that they're here. Well, what it was was a prism that I have hanging from the patio outside, but they became so excited. They ran outside and they wanted to say hello to the wind fairies and welcome the wind fairies into the home. And then they talked about the rainbow fairies and so on. And, um, you know, that's what really what I love about Waldorf is that storytelling is so much a part of the curriculum. And 
um, the teachers use storytelling to teach very abstract concepts and they're taught to the child on the child's level. So I really want to encourage each of you when you're reading to your children and when you're uh, choosing the stories that come into your home, that they're not just stories meant to entertain. And that when you're teaching your child to read, that you're not focusing so much on A says, ah, B says, but I've never done that with my kids. And one of my kids, he just, he can read. It just clicked. He can read big words, all words doesn't matter. It just clicked and he can do it. I've read so much to him and to the both of them. And I've excited um, a love for stories and reading in them that he just wanted to read. And he's taught himself to read because our brain is, is able to, to grasp the concept of letters and you string together letters to make words and you string together words to make sentences and then you have a story. And so I don't want you to focus so much on can my child read and I must teach my child to read, but instead just read to them and read things to them that are exciting and imaginative and speak to um, where they are in their development and the things that they're loving to learn about and that they're curious about. But most important, focus on imagination and character development. Don't be scared to read things where there are um, victors and villains. They need both because inside of us, there's both good and evil. I would absolutely love each of you to um, go to my website, wholeheartcrunchyparenting.com. Um, later today, I will be uploading something that is just for members. It's not expensive to become a member. It's a great way to support the podcast and support my missions and my goals um, that I have for um, you know continuing to educate parents and continuing to support single moms. Um, if you would go to the website and you subscribe, I'm going to have a reading list, things that we're loving right now. I may even upload a reading list for the year with some of my favorite books and probably update that periodically when I discover new things. Um, I will be putting a blog on as well with um, some of the notes from today um, to help you to start building your, your collection of, of wonderful stories at home with your young children and exciting, um, a love of reading um, in them. Um, also, I would encourage you to go ahead and watch the um, Vimeo of my sister, Dr. Jessica Hooten-Wilson, uh, the parenting workshop that she just did on inspiring children to read and inspiring a love of reading in the home. It's definitely worth um, giving a listen. If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, please do so. I would love if you also shared this episode with friends and family, shared on social media. It's a great way, um, again, to support the podcast and support the, the missions um, that I'm passionate about. Um, wholeheartcrunchyparenting.com. Thank you so much for listening. Be well.